All right, what is up, guys? Welcome back to episode 10. I can't believe we've gotten to episode 10. I think yeah. most podcasts like stop making episodes after episode 10 because they get annoyed or bored, but we're staying strong. Today we have a guest speaker. We got Chris Henderson uh, here. Speaker. <laughs> He's influenced all of us in very big ways throughout our lives um, and to this day. So he's really cool to have on because, I mean, he made this podcast dream. So none of this would be possible without Chris. Um, so Chris? <laughs> should we yes. just um, go down the line and kind of talk about how we know Chris and what he's done? Sure. You can go first if you want, Jenna. Okay. Jenna. Um, this is Chris. <laughs> I have known him since um, I was a very young boy. Um, he was uh, He was my teacher in middle school and probably before then in Sunday school, but I don't really remember that. Um, but yeah, he brought me through my middle school years and some of my high school years and taught me probably like 88% of what I know. <laughs> That's not... <laughs> I could say... Yeah, I could say something like, ah, okay, but I won't. It's awesome. Wolfgang, you want to go next? Um, so yeah, I, I met Chris uh, right after Matthew kind of brought me to young life and i started going to sunday school uh bible study and chris was my first teacher now it is uh kyle but um the first one was you for yep. a while and uh he was kind of i still remember the first thing that you taught me was uh was james uh one which is uh quick to listen uh slow to speak and slow to anger mm. which uh yeah i mean all the th Chris was kind of my foundation, I guess you could say, for what I learned and my faith in general. He kind of showed me the gospel and was the first one too. So, what's your yeah. testimony, Luke, with him? Well, the first thing I can remember is just being super excited to finally get into XGT when that's, I was younger. That's our middle <laughs> school program. Yeah, um, and it was just finally really cool, and I could join that group with Chris being the leader. Um, and then, like, I remember being in your in XGT, and he would, like, make the most um, overkill videos for XGT. He would set up a whole green, <laughs> green studio. He'd clone himself in the videos. He'd do all this awesome, crazy stuff. And you also kind of like my introduction to a lot of, like, film stuff and photography okay. stuff, yeah. which is really cool. Um, I remember showing you our first, like, VFX attempts and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so that was really cool. And Chris just is really good at making learning about Jesus fun for all ages really um and it's like it's helped so many kids um and like for me my parents are probably like the main thing but i'd say chris is definitely the second biggest influence in my life for um learning all the things and like even even seeing chris like because we've spent so many hours together in cars and vans doing yeah. mission trips going Too to camps many hours um and you see you see all sides of who you are like you see the imperfect side as well. Like sometimes you'll you'll get angry at kids, angry at kids, and like it's good to see that too because you can see that not everyone's perfect, and you don't have to live up to that expectation of being perfect. Yeah, and you can see imperfections in everybody, and even the best people that you know in your life mess up, but 
that's this is how it goes. So that's like it's been really cool to um to learn from you. Uh, just for the record, I've never messed up, and <laughs> my anger for children is a righteous anger, according to the Bible. And so yeah, so it's very understandable how he gets angry. The squeaky clean. We can, we can make him pretty mad for very good reasons. Yeah. Little schoolers can be pretty agitating. <laughs> agitating. Some agitating. Whatever. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I remember sitting with you at I think it was Crooked Creek, and we were talking about how I would almost, I guess, bring. It was like the one-on-one time, and I think I was talking to you about making like Bible animations and stuff yeah. to uh, spread the word. But um, it's kind of evolved into almost this now, so it's totally. kind of cool to see that come to fruition of yeah. us talking about things like that and them happening. So I mean, your Bible animations were great, but this yeah. is far better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, this definitely has a better impact. But um, yeah, so. That's that's how we all know Chris. So he's definitely been a huge part in this. Um, and then we haven't had to, uh, a lot of guest speakers on. So this is kind of like an outline of questions that if we do have guests on, we'll kind of ask them these same questions. So we kind of have a baseline for questions we can ask. And maybe in the future we can have like one question and make one video out of that. But these are just like 12 questions that we're going to ask everybody. And I guess you can answer them as fast as you want, as short as you want, yeah. like however you want to do it. But, I saw um, these questions 30 seconds ago. Yeah. So this is this is pretty raw. Um, so the first question is, what is your testimony? Number one question, what is your testimony? That's too personal, so we'll skip to number two. Uh, <laughs> so my testimony. Oh, you know. I was about to be like, oh, okay. <laughs> this could be like, wow. yeah. Okay, we'll skip to number 12. Um, no, my, quest, my my testimony is like, it's so far reaching and it's just crazy in the sense that I was raised in a church. It was church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, three times a week in church. And I would sit in the pews and just wonder if God was real. Just wonder if he was real. You know, I remember drawing pictures and asking questions. Um, it was kind of a confusing bringing up. I mean, in my family life, family life was sweet. Mm-hmm. Like, had a good godly family, a great father, you know, great examples, but the church aspect I just didn't get. Did you have any siblings? I did. I had one other brother, older brother. His name is Carl. He's still alive. And, you know, he was pursuing God from the day he was born. Okay. You know, so, I mean, he was super just, you know, into the God thing and wanting to know God and, and that. And I was super into the world thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how could I be popular in middle school? Okay, <laughs> if you saw middle school pictures of me, you would wonder the question, too. How could you ever be popular? And so, <laughs> you know, I remember, and I mean, I tell this story. I mean, I'm, I'm very, I try to be transparent, you know. Um, you know, my kids, when they enter youth group, they hear stories about me in my life, and they're like, I never knew that. And I'm like, well, now you do. <laughs> now you do. You know, like, and there was one point in my seventh grade year, moving closer to the eighth grade year, where I completely abandoned and dumped all of my friends. Because they were jerks and nerds. And I did not want to stay a nerd. In middle school, I wanted to advance into the upper echelon. And so, yeah, so I ditched all of my friends. I did what I needed to do to be cool. And I got into that movement. And then in high school, you know, there was a little more, yeah, just kind of empty period of time. You know, my freshman and sophomore year, my junior and senior year, I rose to the top. I like to say that in the yearbook and by my class and by my school, I was voted Mr. Samuel. My high school was W.W. Samuel. And I was voted Mr. Samuel. Nice. And so that's a title that I wear well. It gets me a lot of opportunities. (laughs) Is that where your son's name comes from? No, no, no. (laughs) My son's name comes from the Bible. (laughs) The Bible. 
Uh, but yeah, and so I did. I totally pursued the worldly things. I was yeah. totally into girls, totally into who I was dating. Um, all through my junior and um, sophomore or senior year, I you know dated one girl, but then we would break up, and then I would date multiple girls in between, and then I would go back. So my journey with Christ was, you know, he had me. Mm-hmm. So you believed in him. I believed okay. in him, but I didn't follow him. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. I believed in him, but he wasn't my guidance and my counselor. The culture was my guidance and counselor. Um, at the age of 13, I knew I wanted to be in law enforcement. And so I just kind of stayed the course and stayed out of serious trouble so that I wouldn't damage that. And so it wasn't until like my second time in college, because I went to college multiple times. Um, but my second time in college, God really grabbed a hold of me. And he grabbed a hold of me through a girl, you know. And so there's this theme in my life with girls, you know, from even being why am I here in Aspen, Colorado now and had the opportunity to pour into y'all's lives. But so in college, the second time I was dating this girl, she was a preacher's daughter. Nice. I remember the first time she asked me if I wanted to go to church, and I, my response was, hell yeah, <laughs> you know, because I'm like, I'm a Christian. I, I was in Texas, you know. I grew yeah. up going to the church, but I was not following Christ. I just want to tell all the girls out there, you yeah. guys have a big part in, like, in lives. You can change them, because, like, my dad, too, was brought yeah. to the church through totally. my mom. Yeah. So you guys have a big part in in building the kingdom so yeah. so don't don't be afraid of that for sure yeah don't be afraid but don't date missionarily okay because <laughs> it's just a mess so anyway so <laughs> this girl wasn't dating me missionarily because i was good looking and she wanted to date me but anyway so daughter of a preacher's you know you know daughter of a preacher i'm dating her and then on valentine's day i can't remember the year she dumped me Oof. she totally dumped me i mean like dumped me and I was, I was smart enough to ask this one question. Why? I'm everything. Why? And she was simply, she replied this. And this is where the story gets very interesting. She said, you are not a spiritual leader. Dang. I know. I know. I'm like, I grew up Church of Christ. I grew up in the church. I mean, I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. So... Here's where it gets interesting. This is my testimony because all my life I had been surrounded by God. I've been surrounded by godly people, but I chose not God. I chose culture. Yeah. What can Chris do for him out of his own strength and will? And so I went home that night, and I had a Bible. Now, I had read this Bible off and on in my time in college, you know, but it was almost like Greek to me. Yes, the New Testament was written mostly in Greek, but, I mean, I didn't understand it. It was just stories. And so I went home that night, and I took this Bible that my brother and his friend bought for somebody else. And then my brother's friend, here's the story, was taking a shower. God showed up and said that the Bible that they had bought for the other friend was really meant for me. So they ended up giving it to me. That's cool. And so it was cool. And it was it was the amplified version. And in college, at that time, I was studying behavioral science, serial homicide. And I love the amplified version because it breaks it all down into very practical thinking. And I went to the index, you know, yeah. the words index, the concordance. And I looked up spiritual leader. And then in that section on spiritual leadership, I went to all the verses that it referenced for spiritual leadership. And I read them. And at the end of my reading of all the reference verses, I, I, I totally was like, God, where are you? You know, because all those verses pointed back to me and said, I know nothing about God. Yeah. And so then the room kind of shifted. There was this kind of like, you know, matrix move happening. 
and I just felt empty and lost. Like everything that I thought I knew, I didn't know. Yeah, it's just. And I called my brother, and I was freaking out. I was like, "Dude, what's going on? It's like the world's kind of shifting." This girl dumped me. She said, "I'm not a spiritual leader." I looked up all the verses in the spiritual leadership, read all those verses. I'm not a spiritual leader. She had every right to dump me. I'm totally crazy. I don't know what's going on. And my brother said, "Just relax." And breathe. It sounds like God has you by the collar, and he's not going to let you go this time. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I relaxed and breathed. Now, here's where it gets interesting. In that Bible, which I still have, there is no concordance section for spiritual leadership. What? What? I know. <laughs> there is no section. You go spiritual leadership. You go leadership. There is nothing in it. That's crazy. You know, but I remember very clearly about reading about Noah, reading about Moses, reading about Abraham, reading about the disciples, you know, reading about Jesus in verses that were pointing me to leadership. It's not there. That's crazy. It's crazy. That's awesome. But that's so God. And I mean, you know, and so that is my big testimony. And so, you know, I went back to the church that she had invited me to. I'm going to throw it out there. Denton Bible Church. You know, um, so I went back to that church that next Tuesday night for college life. Not because I wanted to get the girl back, but because I wanted to know who God was. And I signed up for a Bible study. And, yeah, it was awesome. Nice. And that was, that's my main testimony. I'm like, growing up in childhood, I could tell you tons of horror stories, tons of stupid mistakes, tons of things that I no longer really regret. But I'm like, man, they're part of my story. But doesn't I, really matter right now. I was listening to some of y'all answer the questions on testimonies. And how y'all were talking about, like, gosh, you know, I accepted Jesus when I was three. I've always been good, you know. My testimony, I mean, I'm, I wasn't recovered for alcohol or drugs. Or, yeah. And, and y'all were questioning your testimonies. Yeah. Now, the smart testimony, the testimony of a wise man is the testimony that says, I chose to follow God at a young age, and I continued to follow him my whole life. And I've been blessed. And that is many of y'all's testimonies. Yeah. My testimony is the testimony of a fool who needed to be radically saved by God. And he did whatever he needed to do to do that. And so, yeah, so if you're out there with the testimony of always following God, please know that that is the testimony of a wise person. My wife has that testimony. Mm -hmm. And when she was helping with youth work before we had kids, she would like, I don't ever want to give my testimony. I'm like, but your testimony is elegant. It's beautiful. It talks about how God has protected you your whole life. Yeah. I mean, you can go that way, but I feel like you can't almost have that testimony if you're raised in a certain way with people yeah. that don't know who God is. You almost have to take the fool route. Well, yeah, way. and it, it's not saying that you're a fool. Yeah. It's just saying that, you know, maybe the road signs were there and you didn't you listen to them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was raised in a home that was pointing in the right direction. But you followed but the flesh <laughs> instead. I followed the culture. I don't like to call it the flesh. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> you know. All right. I think that answers that question pretty that's good. Pretty I've never heard testimony. that part of the testimony, so that's yeah, really cool to hear. That one I don't always share. Because uh, you, weren't, you, weren't, you weren't as close to Chris as I was. <laughs> Suck it, Luke. <laughs> Jonah's heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the second cool. question is, what, is, what was your biggest misconception about Jesus slash Christianity? And, like, how do you – or do you have one? I don't know. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, my early years and misconception of Jesus and Christianity was that it was a choice of monkhood. Monkhood, you know, <laughs> like going monk, you know, we're going monk, you know, like, you know, I watched my brother live and he was not in the party scene. He was not in the girl scene. You know, I watched my life and it was like making it rain, mm -hmm. you know, because I started working for Paradise Bakery when I was 13 years old and I always had money. Yeah. But I grew up poor 
And so a lot of my money went to help put food on the table, but you know, I could make it rain and I always had girlfriends. And so my misconception of Jesus was that he would not bring me life that I wanted in this culture, Mm -hmm. you know, and now as I follow Christ and I've been working at the church for 20 years and my life is so exciting. I mean, I've been in places that you can't get out and now I'm free and I have a wife and four kids. I live in Aspen, Colorado. I see that my life has benefit. So, yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, that, that was a misconception that God is not the best way. Uh, is that also kind of the biggest doubt you've had? Or Ooh. Now, the biggest doubt I had was um, the first time I held my first daughter. Okay. And put her in my arms. I feared her death. Dang. And then the question was, would I go on? Like, I'm having children now. Can I go on? If one of my children don't continue to live past me, would I go on? Mm-hmm. Because I saw so much of myself in there. And so that led into years of doubt, years of questioning, like, how can I go on? I know Christ would want me to go on. I know God would want me to go on. But would the hurt crush me so much that he couldn't heal it? Yeah. You know, and I, you know, and so I went on a journey to learn about, you know, the supernatural of raising the dead. And just trusting in God that he has authority over that. Especially when my son Samuel was born and he's just a little daredevil. The fear heightened. And so went through all the histories of the great healers, the people in the past in America and in Europe who you know saw God move through them yeah. and the ability to raise the dead. Then I was in South Africa, saw someone raised from the dead, and then I walk with that belief now. That's cool. And so that doubt was replaced with God is my final answer. Mm -hmm. It's almost faith in a way. Yeah, it's God's my final answer. If somebody close to me dies, if he says they're not coming back, but you're going to go on, Chris, then I know from him that's my final answer, that I will go on. So I don't live in that fear anymore. That's awesome. I I remember back when I was, or you were my teacher, you told me that um, you used to, or whenever somebody were to die, you would sit there and pray until God told you that, they yeah. were in his arms and yeah. that you could go on. Yeah, totally. And that, that, that's that's the belief that I'm talking about here is like, he's my final answer. Like if a state trooper showed up at my door and was like, your entire family was in a car accident and I'm sorry. I'm like, okay, take me to them. You know? Yeah. And then if they're like, sorry, you can't go in there. I'm like, we're going in there. And I have a group of guys that I'm really tight with who, um, you know, they'll go in there with me and we'll pray until I call it the end until i've heard from god because if i hear his voice and he says i'm going on then i'm going on yeah you know if he says i have them they're not coming back today he's he could tell me like i know you've seen the dead raised but not today it's really cool that you say yeah. that because literally at 1 a.m tonight um my uncle died from his heart stopped working okay and he knows the lord so i'm not necessarily sad about it yeah but, I mean, his wife is going to have a really hard time totally. with that loss. So it's cool that you say that. And um, is this this uncle stateside? or is He's in Switzerland. Okay, over yeah. in Switzerland. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be hard to pull up and raise him from the dead. No, I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, how many days was Lazarus in the tomb? Three days. Yeah, I told my mom I mean, that yeah. this morning. I mean, you can get anywhere in this world today in three days. Yeah. You know. So, I, you know, I mean, I travel a lot, and so I didn't want that fear to grip me. So, yeah, and so, yeah, it's facing the fear of that doubt because all doubt is is fear Mm -hmm. i mean it's rooted in fear of the uncertainty and so that was my biggest uncertainty okay yeah you know can i live past my kids 
Uh, favorite Bible verse? Oh, gosh. Shall we just say, like, you know, John 3.16? Not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, John 3.16 is a great verse. But, I mean, for me, it's Philippians 4, 6, 7, and on. Okay. You know, and so Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, you know, um, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all human understandings, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That kind of relates back to what you just talked about. Totally. Yeah. You know, anxiety, fear. Um, my mother had always been an anxious person with anxiety, and so when I became a Christian in college, that you know, it was like, I have to put this to bed. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and so I totally just started living for understanding that peace of Christ. Now, I stumbled upon that verse, and I became obedient to that verse, but I still had a question. How? How, God? How do I not have anxiousness? How do you guard my hearts and mind? And, I mean, I don't know how many times I read past that verse, but it wasn't like for like maybe three or four years later that verses 8 and 9, and it says, think of only what is good, what is right, what is peaceful, what is perfect, what is pleasing. Think about these things. Mm -hmm. And so that was when it was like, oh, Change the way you think, Chris. That's so hard way way to change your think. You know, because I was was trained, you know, to think of the worst. Mm -hmm. You know, like you get a, you have to go on scene back in the day in my old life. And, you know, you know, like maybe a child had been murdered or something. And you're like, okay, you have to think of the worst possible. Yeah, that could have happened. For, you, for those of you who don't know, Chris was in law enforcement. Just for a very short time, very dark side of my life, yeah. Yeah. I don't talk about it much. But the mindset was think about the worst. So then no matter what you walk in on, you are not shocked. Yeah, and you're prepared. able to keep your composure. And so just an example of my wife and her good friend, Noelle, went rock climbing. And my mom and dad were in town, and we had just had our baby, Ambler. And uh, they didn't come back as soon as they thought they should have. I mean, in town, it was looking dark. So I'm thinking, up on the pass, it's got to be way dark. Oh. And so I, I imagine, like, finding where they were climbing and, like, which one is okay and which one is hurt or damaged mm-hmm. or deceased, you know. And so I was, like, I was running all of those things through my head, which just takes your anxiety up instead of just trusting, like, oh, they're just – they stopped in town. It was before my wife and I had cell phones, whatever, you know, yeah. instead of thinking on what was good and pleasing, like, oh, they're having such an awesome time. They're just hanging out there till the last little bit of light to climb. You know, I, I immediately worst, started yeah. gathering the gear that I needed to go be the rescuer. Mom, pay attention to that one. Yeah, <laughs> I was just about to say, mom. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And so, so yeah, so it is this, this process of changing the way you think. Yeah. And I was indoctrinated and changed into thinking always worst case scenarios and then pulling yourself from that. And so now I have to think of always the best case scenarios mm-hmm. instead of the worst case. And so yeah, that's been a that's been a journey. Yeah. You know. It's almost like for me it's thinking through the fruits of the spirit. Yeah. Like, am I thinking in love, joy, joy peace, peace, patience, patience kindness, self, goodness, yeah. yeah. Self control. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, how do you think on those things yeah. and not because our culture really, you know, sometimes pushes us to think yeah. of the worst. And we have a question. I think we'll just answer this one right yeah. now. It's um, how, what are some characteristics of someone who is a mature in their faith? And I think that's the characteristic is if your mindset is yeah. through either the fruits of the spirit or through just trusting and having faith in God yeah. and not through your own understanding or through the world. Yeah. It's kind of my thought on that one. But yeah. Well, I want to, what's your thought on that one as you're growing in your maturity and everybody can see that? Like, what do you see as 
the difference between Wolfgang a year ago to Wolfgang today? Like, how do you feel like you've journeyed in that growth? I think one of the biggest things is someone who's able to discipline themselves to keep moving on and going forward in their faith rather than just giving it up. Because in all honesty, about a year ago, even though I did like, I was curious and I did think that God was real and such, I never really pursued it and I never really thought much of it. Um, in the sense that maturity, I think another thing is like addressing God in a way that is, I, I don't know how to put it besides more mature. Mm-hmm. I mean, you start calling him different names instead of things like guy in the sky or something yeah. like that. <laughs> you start calling him like El Shaddai and, and Abba Daddy, things such as that. And well, that's specifically what, uh, Nana told us is that someone who is mature in faith will start using God's name maturely. Yeah. That's a big I mean, man yeah. upstairs. Yeah. Man upstairs. God, man in the sky. I mean, yeah, like when you learn the names of God, you learn his personality, you learn his character, and his character is reflected on us. Yeah. And his character is supposed to be a reflection from us. And so as you start learning all of his different names, I mean, yeah, okay. So, yeah, and I mean, it is. It's, it's an evolution mm-hmm. of changing. Like mine was always knowing God was there, but then moving to... My complete trust has to be in him. He's my final word. Nothing else can be my final word. And there's never a place in your faith where you can be like, okay, I've learned everything I can learn. This is the end point. There's always so much more (laughs) that you don't understand and never will understand until you're in heaven with with Jesus and God. So there's always more to learn. Um, Next question we have here is, um, how do you know God is real? I think that kind of explains itself because all the testimonies Chris has already told about, you know, people being raised from the dead or anything. But if you have anything else to say on that. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, that is like the number one middle school intellectual question. Yeah. You know, because that that question means if you ask that question, then, you know, even as a believer, you can ask that question. And it, 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 it leans to the intellectual side. Like, you know, you know, because everybody could say, well, you know, God is real because you have faith, you know, but mm-hmm. you're like, if you're an intellectual, you're like, yeah, but I need to know more. And so even just, you know, last week at camp, one of my guys in a one-on-one was like, how do you know that God's real? I mean, do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, he wants to believe out of faith. He just wants the facts, yeah. But he's an intellectual, so he wants the facts. And so when you look at that, it's like my number one answer is always it's in the testimony. Mm-hmm. It's in the things that you can place God in your life where he's done something. Yeah. Where it's a simple prayer that's been answered, whether it's a big prayer that's been answered, and those all have track records. And if you go to the Old Testament, you see that so clear. You know, because when the Israelites were freed from Egypt and in the desert, they were constantly reminded to remember what God has done. Mm-hmm. You know, but then Moses passed. Yeah. <laughs> Joshua pulled up. Yeah. Joshua had passed, you know. And then it says, we get into the book of Judges, that the Israelites forgot God. Mm -hmm. They forgot God, you know. And there's this great story about dogs that so encompasses that. I won't get into it right now, but it is a great story, (laughs) you know. And so, yeah. And so, yeah, like, you know, over time, if you don't remember the stories, if you're not counting the testimonies, you forget. And mm-hmm. so how do you know that God's real? Well, by his handprint in your life. And his handprint in just nature and, yeah. and you just yeah. look around yourself and you you got to be a little bit crazy to think that this is all by chance. The, the amount of 
things that would have to go right for yeah. all this to be here is just Im- unimaginable. So then you almost have to just be like, okay, this was made intelligently. This is there's a designer behind this, and then you go from there and start looking. Okay, who would this designer be? And you start researching that. You look. There's all these religions to choose from. And you start going through them, and they all drop out one by one. Just problems in all of them, and then you get to Christianity. And this is something you have to do by yourself and actually like look into yourself to fully understand. But then you start realizing this is the real thing. This is the truth. And then it just goes from there. At least that's what yeah. I, how I think well, about it. One of the things that I kind of looked at when I was researching other religions, cause I like doing that sometimes is a lot of the people that are chosen from these religions, such as like the Buddha and whatnot, these are known as like good men. They don't mm-hmm. actually believe that they're God. They just kind of have a philosophy rather than a religion. Yeah. 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 Totally. Way to train their mind to almost, I don't know, be spiritual or be their own gods in a way. Yeah. Yep. So that, that was good, good. Um, biggest advice for this generation. And then I also want to get your take on biggest advice for girls because most of our audience is girls and you yeah. have three daughters. Yes, I do <laughs> so have three daughters. I yeah. think you might have some good insight on that. Uh, okay. Uh, biggest advice for this generation. Um, one of the banners that I always try to carry is asking people what they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. You know, Pat, what, what are you passionate about? What, what are your dreams? And, you know, just as a youth pastor, you know, for 20 years, you know, like 20 years ago, kids would just rattle off their dreams, rattle off their passions. And then as culture has changed and as time has gone, it's like a almost a passionless generation. Mm-hmm. It's a generation that doesn't dream. It's a generation that says, this is what was handed to me, and so this is what I take. Yeah, I ask so many kids when I meet them, like, what's what's your favorite hobby? What's your yeah. passions? And they have nothing. I'm like, they have nothing. What are you doing, man? How are yeah. you having fun in life? Yeah, <laughs> like, how are you moving forward? And yeah. so for me, it's like, you know, to this generation, you know, it would be definitely like, yeah, I'd like, you know, have a dream. Um, everybody that's been studying Generation Z, as y'all are called at times, um, you know, talks about like your safety, like your, your, your ability to play it safe. You know, it's like my daughter gets on to me for texting when I drive, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, Hey, stay in your lane. Chicken. You know, Daddy, this is office time here, you know, and I do not have a Tesla. Uh, so it is not driving itself. And so, I mean, it's like, you see that in them, like, wow, this, this need for safety. I mean, and this, this need for like, you know, keeping things, you mm-hmm. know, plausible place and not taking risk and risk is so much about life yeah you know like if you're going to take a risk and so i would say you know take this take the smart risk i mean do your calculations don't text and drive don't do that um i'm bad for that and my daughter is great in holding me accountable for that but you know take risk have dreams and i mean it's like gosh i mean it's like now that i'm like you know in my late 50s and i got you know four kids and i'm like man if I was y'all, there's nothing, nothing you can't do. Yeah. There's not a single dream you can't go after. There's nothing you can't do. Yeah. It's awesome. A quote I live by that I kind of invented myself is, if your mom ain't worried, you ain't living. There you go. <laughs> um, so, mom, if you're worried, I'm having fun. Yeah. You follow that very well, Jonah. Yes, yep. you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> All right, next question is, besi- or do you have any ad- specific advice for girls? Uh, for girls, not? um... You know, the fatherhood figure in girls' lives can transition and change. And I would say, like, if you're a girl who seeks to follow Christ, seeks to please God, then make him your heavenly father. 
you know, get to know him, get to know what he speaks to you. Um, sometimes your earthly father can tell you you're pretty, can tell you that you don't have anything to worry about, like you're going to be okay, but the thief will come in and steal those just from the culture. Um, it is so much harder for the thief to steal from God's promises because God's promises always ring true and are always answered yes back to us. And so, yeah, like if you're looking for something, look for God's promises, look for his truth and what he's telling you, um, and then then you can stand strong. And then, you know, not, you know, like, yeah, there's nothing you can't do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and you don't need the culture to shift and say, oh, women are the most important thing, or, you know, this culture or that culture or this race is the most important thing. Basically, it's like you can always do whatever you want to achieve if that's what God's calling you to do. So live under the God banner. Don't live under the culture banner, you know, because the culture banner just sways us and confuses us. And so I would say if you're a young girl, just pursue knowing how God is your father, and that will translate over maybe into your earthly father but if you're not blessed with an earthly father that's honoring you that's giving to you well then you know just go ahead and just move to the heavenly father and know him and what he says about you that applies to all of us I yeah think, but that's yeah. that's really cool. but i mean i think the attack comes more for girls yeah, yeah. you know i mean that i think even in our culture today like <clears throat> men you know we can say like we're being unmasculated we're being put down we're you know that's the culture i don't live in that culture i live in the kingdom of god yeah and the kingdom of god has us all with value and so we can still say like i have value i can go do what i want to do because i'm a man yeah i mean you know that's yeah it's for sure the culture and so i think you know the <laughs> girls still live under that and if they don't have the father figure mm-hmm. that honors them and blesses them and builds them up then yeah it's hard hard all right, next question is, besides the Bible, what's your favorite book? Favorite book? If you wow. have one. Well, you know, I do. <laughs> I do. I'm an avid listener and reader. I usually listen to books first through Audible. Plug. Yep, Audible's yeah, the best. There you go. <laughs> and then if I'm really into that book, then I go ahead and get that book off of Amazon, digital version, because I don't like to carry a bunch of paper. Amazon really profits off your interests. Yes, he <laughs> does. Yes, he does. Jeff Bezos. Yes, they do. And so, um, so yeah, but... um you know like i've got three main books okay three main books okay i got the bible that's number one yep number two would be a book authored by danny silk who's a pastor out of bethel church and it's called loving your kids on purpose because that's a part of my testimony of transforming how i parented and how i parent my kids and then my third book is fortitude by dan crenshaw who's a congressman out of houston texas and his book is he was a navy seal Okay. And he got, you know, kind of got exploded in IED. IED, yeah. And lost an eye. And so his book is Fortitude. (laughs) And the whole book was written on, you know, how to survive the cancel culture. But it's really just his story of life of how to have fortitude. And when I look at that book, every chapter is a chapter that I want to teach my children. Yeah. You know, from the story you tell yourself, are you your biggest fan? Um, And so those are my practical books. Is that um, the book that also talks about owning it? Because I know, and I remember this a lot, from Chris. <laughs> yeah. But if own it, a, a big motto would always be: if you if you did something, you'd own just it. be like, own it. So just like, just own, own it, it, move forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's in the Navy SEAL culture. Um, yeah, I don't know if Dan Crenshaw hit that as much or Jocko, mm-hmm. which is another uh, author that I read. Uh, my most popular favorite read nonfiction 
is a book, and this is a shame. I mean, it's like I'd have to look it up. I don't even know if I have my phone. But um, it's uh, called A Midnight Clear. Okay. And, I mean, I wish I could say the author's name, but, I mean, how many of us really follow the authors? Yeah, you know? don't but worry. A Midnight Clear is a book about a bunch of intellectuals in World War II who were a recon patrol and ended up Christmas bunkered down with German shoulders all around them, and they yeah. called a truce. Oh, yeah, that's a famous story. And so, yeah, yeah and this one is like a nonfiction because it kind of, or it's fiction because it kind of follows these guys through that. It's not the actual account of the truce that was called on Christmas, but it's just this intellectual, fun, incredible story of man's mind in war. Does Wharton William sound right? Yeah, maybe so. Midnight Clear. I mean, you know, I don't yeah. think there's many Should books by it. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Nice, nice. All right, next question you got is, um, how do you share the gospel with others? How do I share the gospel with others? Um, sharing the gospel with others, I mean, you know, you'll hear everybody like, you can't just do it by lifestyle. <laughs> no, that's so good. You have to say the name. Um, I mean, I'm a lifestyle guy, but I'm also a bold-in-your-face guy. Mm-hmm. Like, so if, if you're on the chairlift with me and I'm not with my kids or if I'm with my kids. Talking about skiing, by the way. Yeah, you know, skiing, yeah, chairlift, you know, going up. You know, I might just sit next to somebody and be like, hey, what are you passionate about? Like that, I usually try to find one question every ski season that that's going to be my question to people that I don't know on the chairlift. That's cool. Because we're sitting on a chairlift together. Might as well have a conversation. Yeah. And my kids think I know everyone. You know, they're young enough to be like, daddy knows everybody. I don't know everybody. I mean, but I'm not afraid to talk to anybody. So sharing the gospel starts with not being afraid to talk to anybody. Okay. Because they're not a threat to me. Because mm-hmm. nothing is a threat to me. Because unlike y'all said in one of your podcasts, like, God doesn't have favorites. I am his favorite. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he calls me the child who always wants more. And I want more of him, and I also want more of this. But, um, yeah, the ability just to talk to people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And somehow lead that into yeah. There is a quote that Mr. Rogers carried in his wallet. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. That's Mr. Rogers. Many of you don't know. But he he carried a quote in his wallet from a social worker, and it said, There is no one you can't like if you learn their story. That's cool. You know? And our world is so divisive right now. We're divided on everything from did you have your two shots, did you not have your two shots? I mean... You know, all of this, like, you can't make us do it. You, you, We have to make you do it, you know. The world is so divided, but there's no one you can't like if you didn't get to know their story. Yeah, I just heard this the other day. Like, your first impression is made, in, like, within three or 30 seconds, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And to change that first impression, it takes at least 20 hours being yeah. with that person to really get to know them, to see their yeah. actual story and what's behind that. You know, and in my past, you know, I was always taught you can go from nice to mean but you can never go from mean to nice. Like if you good. come out mean, you're, you're seen mean. as a scary person and somebody has to protect themselves from you. But if you come in nice and then you see that this other person could be hostile towards you, mm-hmm. then you can go to mean. Yeah. You know, um, and so sharing the gospel is about, man, if you love him, your stories are about him because your life is about him. And so there's not many people who don't know that I'm a youth pastor. I'm not like pounding on my neighbor's door going, come on, like, hey, you coming to church today? <laughs> you know, I'm, I mean, I'm trying to do as much as I can for my neighbors in the physical sense and in their earthly needs sense 
And then also just, you know, like the great question is like, so honestly, what do you think happens when we die? Yeah, that's honestly, good. I'm like, really? Like, you know, because or do you think you're a good person? Also, yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, the good person, everybody thinks they're a good person. But yeah. then if they're listening to more lies than they are truth, they really think they're a horrible, wretched person that doesn't measure up to anybody. And so that question is like culture's feeding it. Mm-hmm. But culture's not answering the question, what happens when you die? And so there at that one question, you can figure out, like, what do they believe about death? Do they have hope in death? And then you can also see if they've been influenced by other beliefs, Yeah, you know? And so that kind of is like a great question that I like to ask people, you know, just small talk, you know, like, Hey, what do you think? <laughs> because you, you probably think, you know what I think, but you might not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think sharing the gospel is best done by being interested in somebody else's story and opinion instead of sharing your opinion. Yeah. That's cool. You know? I like that. Is there any time you've been like super bold in telling someone that or like, Oh yeah. Into, like early. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Way? Yeah. Like, you know, boldness, <laughs> Chris, bro, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Boldness. I mean, boldness is just like, you know, in the school district, you know, mm-hmm. like I was a substitute all last year during COVID and, you know, my wife and I always do multiple like seven day water fast throughout the year. And so, you know, having other people look at me and they're like, you know, you doing all right. You're like, yeah, yeah. They're like, well, you look like you're losing weight, you know, and I'm like, oh, I'm doing a seven-day water fast, you know, being bold to say, oh, yeah, this is something my wife and I do, one, to, like, reset our bodies, but also to honor God, and then, you know, the God conversation comes up, and so being bold, I mean, yeah, there have been times where I really value that person's friendship, I really value that they like me, but then it's a question of, do I want God to like me more, or them to like me more, so then I've got to share who is Christ, in my life and then again it's not telling them they have to it's just telling them what he means to me Mm -hmm. what he's done for me and so i think yeah like taking that question and saying okay what's your story then offers the opportunity for them for you to tell them your story and if you really love someone if you're not telling them about christ you're essentially you're yeah putting their life in danger in a way yeah totally you know and i mean you know i mean you can you can give those examples but you know when you hear their story, one, you become so grateful for your story mm-hmm. because I've heard very few stories that make my story look worse. Yeah. I mean, almost all the stories I hear from people, their story makes me like, I am so thankful. I was raised yeah. the way I was raised. I was blessed by God in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the biggest mistake you see like people make in their faith or just in general? Ah, I mean, I mean, what's, what's a mistake? I mean, you know, when you identify that, because as soon as I clarify that something's a mistake, you know, then I'm judging. Yeah. Like, assume, I guess they're, they're a believer. Like the biggest thing that maybe, I don't know, gives them a false idea of something. The biggest lie, I guess. Okay. So we could talk about lies. Like Mm -hmm. people believe lies all the time. I I mean, um, I think anything that (laughs) takes us away from God is rooted in, there's a lie that we've believed from the thief. Mm Mm-hmm you know, our enemy, and he's constantly lying to us where God is constantly telling us truth. And so when you think about that, it's like, you know, who do you know that is believing a lie? I mean, just look around the room. We're all believing some lie in our life right now. We're believing a lie. There's something in us that's untrue. And so when I think about like a big mistake, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, you know, what is it? You know, I mean, our senior pastor here, um, he's always pulling back like, dude, that's part of their journey. Like, Oh, yeah. Okay, they're on a journey. I'm on a journey. 
you know, because I become like fidgeted, like, why don't they understand? Why don't they believe more? Why are they not here? Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, dude, bro, stay in your lane. It's part of their journey. And so I don't really classify like mistakes as much as I'm like, there's a lie that has to be unrooted. Almost a lesson. Yeah. And then you have to be the one who can deliver that truth. Mm-hmm. So what's the most common one that you see? I mean, I think the most common one that I see is Identity? that, well, yeah, the most common lie that people believe is that they are insignificant and that they have little value or little matter to the culture that they're around, to the people they're around. They, you know, it, it's, it's, the, it's the wonderful life story, yeah. you know, of do you have value? Everybody's constantly questioning that. And the thief has covered us with you're insignificant and invaluable. And then even to the point of social media that if you like something, the psychology has been done that says you feel like you've just done something for the cause. When really all you did was like. I mean, you didn't sacrifice and go build a well. You didn't even give money. You just liked it. And so you're like, oh, that's satisfied that I've done something because I feel insignificant. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, the whole significant thing segues perfectly into one of our first Q&A by Jessica. And it's, I'm not sure if you've talked about this yet, but please talk about it. Why abortion is wrong and how the Bible backs that up. Okay. Um, Here we go. There you go, Wolfgang. That one's yours. <laughs> Jonah? That's what I used to do. Not now. I don't do that anymore. You no, but I mean. Where you wait till other people talk. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wisdom. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, you think about it like if God is the creator of all things and we have many biblical references of just in Psalms of how we were created in the womb, how he knitted us and stitched us together, then that means any and all life is valuable to him. Mm. Yeah. Um, This is like um, my biggest thing against abortion is um, my best friend, Lewis, was uh, a preemie by like three months. So by today's standard, he he would still have been um, eligible for abortion. Um, And he's he's here with us today. And uh, he I've known him for for forever now and um he's my best friend i don't know what i would do without lewis um i'm really glad that his parents decided to keep him and the lord decided to keep him in this world and uh yeah that's 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 my stance this was a uh a thing that i i passionately believed before i was even religious um was the uh the topic of abortion and i mean it's just to put it in a sense that there's just so many different things that I've looked at and I'm not going to get too into it because I don't like getting political, especially on this podcast. But, um, yeah, I mean, there was just a lot of evidence for what I believed specifically. And I mean, even cause I always hear people going, leave your religion out of, out of my body and leave, uh, or church and state separation was a big one that I heard. And every time they pulled this up with me, I was like, look, I'm not religious. I don't know how to explain this to you. I don't, <laughs> I don't believe that. Like, that doesn't work on me. So, I mean, that was before I was religious, obviously, and then I looked more into it with the book and uh, and helped me understand it a lot more as to why I should believe it even more. Yeah. yeah this is a really great topic to get you hated. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's a dividing line. And, I mean, you know, what do you got, Luke? The first thing you got to understand is that if you want to support this idea is – once you you're in your mother's womb, you are a human being. You aren't just some lower f- life form. You are yeah. already 
you have a soul and a conscience and you already belong to God. And if you're aborting the baby, you're killing a human as much as if I took a knife and just killed Jonah right here and now. He's got more knowledge, but a baby is so, I mean, it can't do anything about it. It's so innocent and it doesn't have a choice and you're just taking that choice away from it. So even if, if like I have a friend and she's, she's 17 when she got pregnant and she decided to keep the baby and that's like super hard. She's in a Catholic family. So yeah. like, um, she's obviously pro-life, but even still having a Catholic family, I can imagine will be hard. You got to yeah. tell your parents that you're pregnant. Sure. <laughs> um, but that baby is now born and you can already tell that it's going to be such a like amazing testimony for other people. And we'll have it on the podcast at some time, at some point, but, um, that baby is going to have the story of like my mom thought about killing me, but look, God pulled through and I'm not dead now and I can change people's lives. And it's just such a powerful story too. So just keeping, I mean, yeah, don't, don't kill things that shouldn't be killed. I, guess. Well, I mean, so. I mean it, you know, it, it boils down to like, it's still just a lie. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a cultural lie that says we have the right to do whatever we want with our bodies. Almost whenever we take that thought, it's a selfish thought. And so you, you know, believed a lie that, okay, you know, I'm going to have sex before marriage. I'm going to have sex without maybe the adequate protection. And then now I'm pregnant and I don't want to bear that weight. So I'm going to believe the lie that I can do whatever. And so, I mean, it comes into that. And so, I mean, it's like anybody who's been down that road, they've still just believed a lie. Mm-hmm. And maybe if they've believed that lie and gone through with that act, if you knew their story, yeah, there's someone you can like. There's someone you can love. I mean, Jesus today would still have love for every person who's maybe gone through with something like that. Yes. And he would know their story. And so it's really complicated. It's hard to keep it not being political. And the only way that I see a lot of times that you can take it out of the political realm is when you look to what's the truth and what's the lie. And the truth says that God loves all life. Mm-hmm. He's going to provide for all life, and he's going to guide and direct and give us counsel and support if we look to him. The lie is that's going to be burdensome. That's going to be something you need to cover up. That's going to be something shameful, so do away with it. And so when you, when you take the truth to detector, like what's truth, what's lie, it's not going to be shameful. It's not going to be something you have to hide. It's not something that's going to destroy your life. It's something that's going to give you life. And so it's that whole process. Yeah. So I think the number one thing that was convincing for me yeah. when I was uh, in politics was if you look at it's the concept that if you do believe it's a human life, it's a newborn child. Yeah. And children are the most innocent ones among us. And yeah. So if if you really have it in you to end the most innocent and the most um, precious and valuable things that have ever come from humans as a whole. Yeah. It it shows that you have no morals is kind of the way that I saw it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, but I mean, it's like, you know, you can look at the, yeah, there's no morals, but yet if you're believing the lie that culture is pushing on you. Yeah. I mean, some people just don't know. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, they don't seek the truth. They don't, they've never even had the, somebody pose to them like, hey, are you believing a lie? Yeah. What do you mean I'm believing a lie? Um, And so when we look at that, you know, to take it out of that political sphere, you know, it, the bottom line roots down to this. When is a life a life? Yeah. You know, and if you look to the Bible, the life says, the Bible would say that life is life at conception. 
at the moment of conception, that child is alive. But yet our courts and different things like that have designed that life occurs at this point in time and this point in time. And so, you know, there's a darkness in that that's persuading that. I mean, I, I would say that's probably one of the bigger blemishes on our country is that we've made abortion so readily accessible mm-hmm. and that we enable that lie to continue to persist. And I mean, I know this this quote for some reason is stuck in my head, but it was from a Nazi propagandist who said that if you tell a lie enough, even you will start to believe it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, so Yeah, and so it just becomes part of that DNA of who you are. Nice. All right, well, this next question is really, I, I don't know how to answer it. Um, do you want to read it? Okay. It's the one I highlighted. The uh, anonymous one? Yeah. Okay. Preface. Uh, I'm a therapist that does both faith-based and regular clinic counseling. My faith-based clients have wondered if chronic mental illness is purely demonic influence. They want me to help pray away their illness, but it is just not always possible. As these issues are chronic and can actually worsen with time, it's not anything like depression and anxiety. My question is, understanding that there are many factors contributing to mental illness, including spiritual warfare, what would be a good response to a Christian individual who would want to understand more about mental illness in the context of spirituality? <laughs> it's a big one. I mean, yeah. I mean, that that's a big one. And I mean, I mean, gosh. Like, when you look at that, it's like, okay, so, you know, just hold the phone. And then, like, I think the first thing you would have to do is direct somebody to, like, what's God say? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's like, have you asked God? Like, what do you say, God, about my mental illness? And then as a counselor, how do you direct somebody to tune in and listen to what God is saying? Okay? I mean, there are things that within our free will, podcast y'all had a few weeks ago, or days ago, I don't know, y'all load them so fast. Um, you know, is like there are things that we can open ourselves up to whether it's in the demonic or whether it's just in our own mental health. I would believe that, you know, it's all about how we assimilate into the story we tell ourselves. Like, am I telling the story that God is telling for me, that he's for me, that he wants me to be healthy, he wants me to be strong, he wants me to be a good leader, a good support to my family? And then if I'm doing that, then those are what I am. If I'm believing the lie and telling myself the story that I'm overworked, I'm underpaid, I'm, I never get time for myself, my kids always need something, then my response to my children will be short and snappy. My mm-hmm. response to my wife will be frustration. And so, you know, I'm not boiling down mental health that it is not a biological thing, that it's not a chemical thing. There's, those are all things that are created in our, our DNA that God has given us. But our culture, our world has eroded some of those things to where we do become chemically imbalanced. You know, like if you're a person who lives in a rural area and your water is not clean enough to drink, but that's the only water you can drink, then it may change the balance of how your physical body is structured. And then that may cause something else to happen. And so when I look at this, it's like, man, I always just want to go to the root. All right, God, what do you say about my struggles what do you say about my multiple personalities what do you say about my bipolar okay um and so when we look at those things i don't claim to understand any of them Mm -hmm. i don't claim to have been plagued i really think like my first anxiety attack was a couple weeks ago on a mountain bike ride um (laughs) you know i'm like i really just don't have panic attacks i don't have any of that and so it's hard for me to speak into those because i've always told a narrative 
even when I wasn't following God, that I got this. Yeah. You know, and I was raised in the 80s with Rocky Balboa. You know, you're always going to overcome. You're always going to achieve. And so, yeah, I would be like, to this, to this person who's asking this question, I would say, the first thing is, can you lead them to a place where they can hear God and where they can ask God honest questions about, like, what is this that's plugging me? Mm-hmm. And if it's demonic, if it's an oppression of some kind, if it's a cloud, it may be something that they welcomed in. It may be something that they walked into, or it may be something that is just seeking to oppress them. Okay. And then hear what God has to say, and then diagnose and prescribe what's the end result from there. Mm-hmm. You no, know, it could be prayer. It could be fasting. It, yeah, I think know. that's the next question. Like, kind of in this question is like, yeah. is it all? Can it all be fixed just with prayer or? Like I see it as like prayer, you can have it spiritually healed, and then you can also have other people that have a certain skill set help yeah. you in oh, like absolutely. completing that prayer. I mean, so our gifted like, counselors and therapists, the people who have a heart to help people who struggle with just normal life, and I mean, I think we could all say we struggle with normal life. To have a, to have a person who feels the call to do that, that's gifting from God. Mm-hmm. You know, even if they're not following Christ and they're just in the secular mindset of, you know, psychiatry and behavioral science, you know, they felt that call in their life. Yeah. And maybe there'll be a time where they come back and be like, oh, God gave me that call and I was blessed to live out my calling. Um, yeah, like having somebody guide you through that is, is invaluable. Yeah. I mean... But on the whole prayer and fasting thing, like if you go to Mark, I'm pretty sure it's 925, 927, but the boy who was demon-possessed, and the father brought the boy to the disciples because they had just been out casting out demons. This was after Jesus had sent them out, and they couldn't cast out the demon. And then they were now arguing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and Jesus comes down the mountain from praying, and he's like, what are y'all arguing about? And, like, the father comes forward and says, my boy, you know, he, he's so possessed. You know, sometimes it's, like, throws him in the fire, throws him in the water, tries to kill him. You know, and the boy immediately starts convulsing and freaking out, you know, because he's so close to Jesus. And Jesus just looks at the father and has a conversation with, like, how long has he been like this since his birth, you know? And then Jesus commands it out. And then the disciples are like, why couldn't we command it out? I mean, we were healing people. We were raising the dead. We were blind. And then Jesus replied to them, some only come out with prayer and fasting. And so not to build a theology off of that verse, but it is something to think about like, okay, could I apply fasting? Mm -hmm. You know, many people believe the lie like, dude, I cannot go a day without eating. Are you crazy? Yeah. You know, I mean, I used to believe that. I remember I would would tell some of my friends the first time I fasted for seven days, they'd be like, say what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was so cool. And so I would say to include the spiritual aspect in it as a a believing counselor and therapist would be, do you get your diagnosis and prescription from God? And the gift I would say that would really help in that is just discerning spirits. Mm -hmm. I mean, Um, Sorry. Uh, yeah, go what ahead. I was going to say was about your whole, like, I can't go a day without food. Just made me think of the first time Matthew, Lewis, and I, we all decided to go out into the woods and fast for a day. 
um, cause it was all pretty much all of our first time spiritually fasting. Yeah. And, um, Lewis was there like, I can't do this. Like I, <laughs> I have to eat because I have to eat. he was trying to, uh, first of all, he was trying to muscle up for football. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to do it, but I mean, he got through it and we all did it together Yeah. with God. So, yeah. And I mean, it's like, think about it. I mean, like, honestly, as Americans, I mean, it's like, how often do we go three, maybe four hours without eating? Yeah, I mean, so I'm like, you know, if you if you want to learn about fasting and such, there are tons of books out there. But, you know, don't buy the lie that you got to go fast for a day or fast for a week to say that it's worthy of anything. You know, maybe think of like, what's the longest time I've gone without putting food in my mouth? And then say, okay, five hours. I'm going to fast for six. I mean, the whole intermediate fasting is teaching Mm -hmm. the world so much about how does our body process food? You know, I mean, let's face it. We weren't made to always eat, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, yeah, fasting can get into a whole other thing. I'm very yeah. passionate about it. I love fasting. And there's food fasting. There's also you can fast from social media. You can fast from all those other things that you almost need. It's almost like food for us yeah. these days. Yeah, you can also it's fast from those things. just pacifying us. Um, so, yeah, diagnosis from God, discerning spirits. My wife and I do a lot of marriage counseling and the first session we're just like tell us your story and then god will just highlight like oh that's a spirit of this or oh that's a spirit of that and then i can go back to him i'm like hey do you feel like maybe this is something that you need to deal with you know and then i name me name the spirit and they're like wow you know and so yeah it's as a believing counselor it's like depending on the gifts from god mm-hmm. and invite him into the practice for those clients that's awesome well, we're kind of running low on time here, yeah, so I'm are. just going to have one more question here. Um, there's a lot more, but we'll have to answer them in the next few episodes. But when is the right time to get baptized? How big of a deal is baptism? And what changes once you make that decision? Wow. Wolfgang wants to be baptized. <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, well, for me, what, what, yeah. or do you want to go first, Wolfgang, what it, what's going to mean to you? Well, um, I mean, I just kind of feel like it's it's not... I don't want to say it's like a determining mark in your faith, but it definitely is like a a cornerstone per se. Another step forward. Yeah, it's something that you can use as a bookmark to help you go like, okay, well, this is when I was baptized, and this is where I've come from there. And it also is a decision that comes from the heart that says, okay, I am accepting God. And, I mean, many people do it when they're young, so it really isn't significant. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, of course, it's always significant, but it's it's a lot more significant to be mm-hmm. like more mature and say, okay, I'm making this decision against one, my family's uh, kind of beliefs and two, um, just my own entirety of me being raised and me growing up. I finally want to complete what I think is a big step in my faith. That's cool. Yeah. It's just showing people around you what you actually believe. It's like more of a, the way I see it, it's like showing everyone that this is the path you choose and they can hold you accountable to that path. Yeah. Something a lot of people do is get rebaptized, especially if you're like baptized as a baby and you yeah. don't really have a choice in it. Mm-hmm. But um once you really decide to leave that lifestyle lead that lifestyle and you want to show show everyone that you're doing that, they just decide to get rebaptized. I know a lot of uh, kids at the church here have done that. So So that's the answer to the right time to get baptized is when you think you want to fully submit your life to Christ and you want to show everyone that's that the choices you're going with, that's the right time to do it. 
um, when you're a baby, you can't really make that decision. So that's probably not the best time to do it. Um, yeah, but I mean, if you get baptized as a baby, I mean, it's not like you had any say about yeah. it. So I'm mean, like, now you know, now there's like, you know, babies can't think. I mean, I mean, when we look at baptism, I mean, it's just straightforward. It's what our Lord and Savior did. Yeah. We're to emulate him and we're to follow him. And it was a milestone. I mean, it was the time. And I'm not saying that this happens then, but I'm like, you know, when we look at it in Scripture, that was the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, his being filled with the Spirit, having that blessing put upon him from God, like, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. And he goes, spends 40 days in the desert fasting and alone. And then he comes back fully, fully ready to start his ministry. Did Jesus always have the Holy Spirit or did it only come down on him when he was baptized? Ooh, yeah, you're opening up a can of worms. <laughs> You know, I mean, okay, guys are running low on time. Yeah, I know we're running low on time. But I mean, it's like, you know, the quick answer to that is we see the Holy Spirit being represented as the dove. And, and some would maybe make a theology that when the dove descended, it became on Jesus. Or was the dove there just representing the Holy Spirit out of joy and celebration yeah. and congratulations as the Father spoke, This is my son whom I'm well pleased. And so, you know, I mean, yeah, that, that one's like, that, that's like, you know, sketchy service. Because he you was know, perfect throughout yeah. his whole life. So was that life. possible without the Holy Spirit? But I, mean, the yeah, question. I mean, I don't know, but he's God. Yeah. Um, God in the butt. What do you guys think about um, baptism, like um, never getting baptized? And uh, you still consider yourself a Christian? Because uh, I don't think it's a necessary step that absolutely has to be done. Like you're still going to go to heaven if you're not baptized. But Wow. Uh-oh. Okay, I mean... <laughs> I'm about to get flamed. <laughs> no. I, I, I was raised in Church of Christ, and Church of Christ did put baptism as a check mark. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you could be walking down the aisle, trip, fall, hit your head, die, and then I always believed that the elders would be like... <laughs> That's rough. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you know and so, but I mean, I'm not sure if that was their full constitutional belief, you know, what they believed, but that's what I got impressed upon me. Yeah. And so there was almost this sense of, got to get baptized because, you know, if I don't and something happens, then I don't make it, you know. I mean, I think if Wolfgang dies now, he's going to heaven. Oh, absolutely. He knows Maybe, who Jesus yeah. is. I mean, yeah, he's absolutely. So that, and so, I hope so. <laughs> but, but going with Jonah. I think you can be a follower of Christ, continue to follow Christ, but I think if you want to emulate who he is, you want to do what he did. Yeah. And so baptism is a part of it. And it is, it's a celebration. It's a rejoicing. Um, It is, and here's my biggest reason. It defeats a lie that the enemy will try to sell you. That's cool. Okay, so like if you don't ever get baptized and you're like, well, you know, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of frightened of water, you know, and, you know, <laughs> I just don't want to do it. You know, I don't like getting wet. Um, then the thief can show up to you maybe years later and be like, are you really one of his? That was a good impression. You never got baptized, you know, and so it's defeating the lies. I yeah. love to be on the offensive, never on the defensive. But I think Wolfgang already knows. Oh, that. no, totally. So, yeah. like, you don't just, necessarily have to get baptized, but I think Wolfgang has, like, baptized himself, yeah. in, in yeah. I, I guess, yeah. in a way to... A way well, to no, totally. It. And, I mean, it's like, you know, when Wolfgang and I were texting back and forth, you know, he said something about, like, you know, like, you know, does it have to be a holy person? I'm like, um, we're all holy if we follow Jesus Christ. You know, we are all holy. You know, we are all priests. You know, We're all Jonah saints. could baptize you, Luke could baptize you, Lewis could baptize you, I could baptize you. Who is going to have the most significance in your story if you can say, I was baptized by so-and-so? 
I was baptized by my own father. And I remember getting into the thing, and I was like, is this legal? <laughs> I mean, you know, and so that kind of tells you a little bit about, like, the maybe the faith I was raised in. You know, like, there was this legal, as- legal aspect to it. Like, I want to make sure things are legal. I only want to do this once. I mean, and I'm the pastor here who loves to tease the other pastors, you know, before they really got to know me or they thought they knew me. And I'd be like, yo, bro. I never got baptized. And they would like freak out, you know? And I'd be like, yo, bro, stay in your lane. I got baptized. I'm just messing with you, you know? Because, you know, I don't want to like get in that. But I think the response for me would be if somebody came to me and said, should I get baptized? I would say defeating enemies' lives, moving on the offensive of saying, I follow Jesus. Jesus did this. I do this. So do you think it's more of a, does it, is it spiritual, like in the sense that the Holy Spirit really goes into you when you get baptized? Or is that... Is it more symbolic to yourself almost? Too? I think it's symbolic because I think the spirit's in you. If you, want I think it, it can. It de- I think it can work both ways depending on, like, because like Wolfgang already has the Holy Wolfgang Spirit in him. Definitely has a spirit in him. So uh, thank you. So like when when you get baptized, it's I feel like it's almost going to be more of symbolic and a symbol, like a bookmark in your life, like you said, and it'll help you. But I don't think necessarily that you're going to gain more of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I don't know. It's not up for me to decide. Yeah. But like Chris said, it's, it's something that could, uh, something that is going, like something that Jesus did. So it's what you should do as well. Yeah. I mean, I would say that all things are spiritual. Yeah. That's <laughs> you know, <laughs> so like, and you know, at what time does the Holy Spirit, and I mean, I think God was very clear in the Bible not to give us exact details. You know, so that way we have less of a room as erring humans to judge. Like, yeah, oh, you've been believed in Jesus for five years. We never been back. Oh, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, there are other denominations like, oh, you don't speak in tongues. Oh, you have not been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Like, you know, yeah. they want to identify what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as Steve would say, you know, it's the journey. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, it's like the awakening of, like my awakening to the Holy Spirit's another part of my testimony. And I just yeah. want to say this to end this off. If you haven't accepted Jesus in your heart, yeah, I would seriously recommend considering it because like happened this morning, your life can change this fast. Your heart can just stop working and your life can change. So the sooner, the better um, is really one that, what you want to do. Um, and I guess I can just lead them in prayer right now. Absolutely. Um, so guys, just repeat this after me. If you don't, Except if you don't know who Jesus is, you want him to be your Lord and Savior. Um, just repeat this. Be like, Jesus, I'm, I know I'm broken. I know I've sinned. I know I deserve death. Death is the punishment for sin. Um, please um, come into my heart. I know you sent your son down from heaven to die for me. And wipe my slate clean. You can wipe my slate clean. You can make me pure in your eyes, and I can be spotless in your eyes. And I commit my life to you, and I will follow in your son's footsteps, as we just talked about. And I will pursue you for the rest of my life and follow your commandments as as much as I can. Um, and yeah, amen. Amen. So, amen. amen. If you if you if you say that now, congratulations, because you are pretty much invincible at this point there's and, nothing uh, in this world that can that can take you down leave a comment for luke that. so that he can say he brought someone to christ <laughs> yeah. i mean he's really hungry to do that <laughs> like, uh thank you chris so yeah. much for for joining yeah, us hell yeah. i'll keep talking yeah. awesome yeah. thank you we could go on forever here there's yep. yeah. so yeah, much to talk we about gotta, we gotta yes. we gotta end it here <laughs> we do need to end it here and hey thanks so much for supporting these guys yeah. and keep watching and keep spreading it 
like, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, yeah, and uh, wherever you're at. Yeah. God bless. God bless.